Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you too. We are in the book of Acts this morning. We should finish the 27th chapter. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 27. We will stand and we will take verses 41 through 44. So please stand for the reading of God's Word. And if you're watching online and you can, please stand with us beginning in verse 41 to 44. And before I start, for those of you who may not know what's going on here, there are 276 people on this boat, and it's out of control, and they're going to try to beach it and survive this storm that they are caught in. And so we pick it up in verse 41. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves, and the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on boards, and some on parts of the ship, and so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Please be seated. Even the non-swimmers, that's the title for this morning's sermon, and I want to preface it by reading just this one sentence from our Lord. In John chapter 6, he said, The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. And this physical experience that these people were going through on this ship, uh, this uh, gives to us spiritual lessons. And so again, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. In this historical event, we have many parallel applications. We would call them metaphor or allegory. There is spiritual war, there is spiritual education, and there are the non-swimmers. So to give an overview of what we have here before we begin the exposition, and this passage of Scripture, I think, is uh, it's not one of those passages where you give a Bible study. It's a passage that you preach a sermon on, just uh, kind of boiling it down to where this is going as far as the parallel applications, uh, I'm not over-applying the metaphor in this passage. I think it's just right there for the picking. And uh, this is God's word to man, and not merely a historical documentary. We don't come to the Bible and say, oh, that was interesting. Then what? It is always, Lord, what are you saying? Uh, maybe not for me right now, but I'll need it later. Romans chapter 15, which incidentally, Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, what he's trying to get to right now. He wrote this four years earlier. And he wrote, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Well, that's what we're doing this morning. We are learning from the things written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now, in that hope, there's a lot of work. 
A lot of service. And so the metaphor, the allegory, the illustrations, they abound. These are word pictures to strengthen us in our faith so that we can serve the Lord more effectively. Strong faith is not just so we can feel good about our faith. It's supposed to serve the Lord. So spiritual education is one of the first things I want to touch on because I'm not convinced that many Christians realize how much education faith needs. And requalification, I should also add. Uh, you don't just, education and information are not the same thing. Though education involves information, information is part of education. But an uneducated or untrained person can misuse information. So there's a difference. As we come to the scripture, I want to be educated. I want more than just the information. I want to be handled by the Holy Spirit in my heart, in my mind, so that my life can be productive to Him, no matter what I'm going through. Someone may be able to do mathematical equations just fine in a classroom. They just can't apply it in real life. Not able to maybe, uh, you know, give change from a purchase that someone makes because they're not, they have got the information, but they can't apply it. I think when we first come to Christ, being in such awe of God and not any longer of ourselves, we, we tend to sense this, that we need as much as we can get from God. And then in time, we may lose sight of the fact because we've amassed information. And we may think we're... Uh, we become know-it-alls without knowing it all if we're not careful. Or we can catch the critic's disease. Don't downplay that one. That one comes very easily. Satan, the Bible tells us in Revelation, when it speaks about his judgment, that he is the one that deceived the nations, the nations of people, lots of people. That's what he does. He deceives and he deceives through information, and he creates critics. They're deceived, usually not knowing what they're talking about. Faith needs continual education, and it comes in this way. And this is what the Bible teaches us. Testing, time, you know, that's waiting while you're being tested. Hardship, that comes with time. Holiness, the pursuit of of being right with God, the pursuit of purity. These things continually edge our, educate our faith and re-educate our faith. You're not going to get it where, okay, I learned that lesson. Now what do you got? You're going to learn it, put it to use, and learn more. Peter said, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. What Paul is going through and his shipmates over these two weeks stuck on the sea is not a strange thing in the sense that uh, they're not being judged. It's not a natural thing. This is spiritual. This is somebody doesn't want Paul to get to Rome. And I'll hopefully bring that out a little bit more. Peter also said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know if you caught the grace came before the knowledge. Grow in the grace and the knowledge. 
Because without that grace, your knowledge is not going to be very useful. You will be that know-it-all. You will be the one that the Bible says is puffed up without love. Knowledge, of course, edifies, but without love, it strips down. Uh, Just having truth, bare facts, can be brutal. You need more. Now, that is as far as the uh, spiritual education goes. Because there is a spiritual war, and that's why we need to be educated. We need to be trained. Resistance from unseen forces. The older you get, I think the more you experience these things. There are exceptions here and there. You know, when you're young, you're too busy trying to accomplish your immediate goals of not making up your bed and cleaning your room, uh, getting past school, things like that. But as you get older, you could say sort of the news titans, and, and life gets more serious. We make more relationships. Maybe you have a family and children, whatever the case may be. Spiritual war, war is very real. God guaranteed, Paul, that he would make it to Rome. Three years ago, he comes alongside of him during this two-week period and reminds him, you're still going to get to Rome. Which you would say, then why? Why the ship, you know, in the storm? I didn't just go to Rome. Because there's an education to be had. And not only for Paul. And he's being educated too, as great as he is a servant of God. Now, as I said, I do not believe God sent this storm, but, the, but he did permit it. And when he permits, he uses whether we like it or not. Again, someone did not want Paul to reach Rome, and it was Satan. Paul, earlier, about four years earlier, also wrote this to the church in Corinth. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. That really needs no context. It stands all by itself. We know he opposes us. We know that he looks to take advantage of us. And we're not supposed to be dumbfounded as to how he does business. Fearing that the gospel would be preached in Caesar's court was quite disturbing to the forces of hell. Those unseen forces that create havoc, spiritual war. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. When Antichrist comes along, who is the child of the devil? This is what Paul says about him. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. And we're watching this globally. Those who have bought into this doctrine from hell, which is the woke doctrine, you're being played like a fiddle. There's somebody much bigger than you, much more evil than you could ever imagine who is selling you something, and you are just basking in it as the devil's fool. There is a better way. Christ is a better way. Yes, there are restrictions. Learn to deal with them. There are restrictions wherever you go. This devil opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Anything decent, anything right, he's going to try to come after We're not ignorant of his devices. Well, getting Paul to Rome was something Satan did not want to do. It's not recorded, the successes of Paul from reaching Rome, except to say 
We don't date our checks by the Caesars, do we? We date it by the coming of Christ. Western civilization has changed forever. Well, that is the spiritual war. And in spiritual war, there will be people knocked overboard. All of us will get a chance to be knocked overboard in this life. The non-swimmers. This morning's Bible passage should school us, educate us about the non-swimmers in life. In spiritual war. Because in the sea of life, we all get to be non-swimmers at some point. At some point in your life, you will find yourself in over your head. Where the waters are trying to destroy you. Everyone who sticks around long enough will experience this. And if you cannot recall being in over your head in this life, you probably have not lived long enough yet. Or you're just too selfish. You're too self-centered to catch it. God can save even the non-swimmers in spiritual storms. God can save those who are not fit for the storm, who are not ready for the sea. All believers are deployed into spiritual war zones. They'll either stand and fight for their faith, having done all to stand, therefore stand, Paul says, take up the entire armor, and he lists the parts of the armor, or they'll turn and run. But in over our heads, battered by life and unseen forces, how will our faith do? Will it survive? You see the metaphor of will they survive the shipwreck? Will my faith suffer shipwreck? Will I have to jump into the water as a non-swimmer? And the swimmers have already gone ahead of me? There's no one there waiting to help me. I'm on my own, it might look like. That's not the whole story. God said even the non-swimmers would not go down with the ship. Maybe you can swim, but it's your walk on the land that stumbles you. Maybe you say, you know, I'm fit for the sea. I'm good for this. Yeah, well, there's something else you're not fit for. Satan's got something because your flesh dictates that you are not perfect. In fact, that you are imperfect. From these facts come our spiritual education. Sections like this. We'll get this maybe next session in chapter 28. You know what God said to the great prophet Jeremiah? If you can't keep up, if you can't keep up with the footmen, Jeremiah, how are you going to keep up with the horses? What? You mean there's horses I got to keep up with? These, again, the lessons in Scripture are bound. They are for our edification. Well, let's put that in common language. They're to make us Stronger in life. And stronger means useful to God, to the Christian. To the world, you know, bottom line, who cares what they mean by it? What does God mean by being useful to him? It means to be a servant. Hopefully, I'll bring that out out of numbers in just one moment. Now we look at verse 39, hopefully keeping these things in mind. The need to, to have an educated faith, not just a faith. The need to remember that we're all in a war zone. There is a spiritual war going on around us. The need to understand that there are times when we're in over our head. We're the non-swimmer in the story. But 
we are never alone. So look at verse 39, and then we read, When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. The unknown staring them in the face. That's scary enough. The unknown. What's going to happen? What's behind there? This is all of this. Where is this going to go? Am I going to make it? And if I am, how am I going to make it? This was their last chance. The Christians on board had no doubt been hard at work. We have no reason to doubt that Luke and Aristarchus and Paul were not hard at work. Part of the evidence of that is how the centurion broke with the protocol and spared the prisoners. And how his men obeyed him because it was their necks at risk. It was not a little thing when he called them down and said, hey, you know, stand down. We're not going to kill the prisoners this time. Come back to that in a minute. Christians are to be servants of Christ, not activists of causes. This is a big deal. Christians are to be servants of a person, not an agenda. Oh, there are things to do as we serve this person, but they come from him. Paul was devoted to a person, not a cause. Maybe you've seen people. They just want to go to some exotic place. They just want to get away, and they find the mission field just serves them just right, and no fruit comes out of it. In fact, oftentimes it's disastrous. Poor testimony is left, left behind. You see, the Christian activist does what they choose. They choose their own missions. They choose which hill to die on. Then they ask God to bless that agenda. That's serving a cause. Whereas, of course, the servant, not serving the flesh looks to find what his master wants him to do, dependent on the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because the flesh will always depend upon its own efforts to work for God. Notice I did not say serve God. The flesh will look to its own efforts to work for God. Well, I'm a doctor. It makes perfect sense that I go and use my doctor skills in some other country. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong in and of itself. But if you don't have a green light from the Holy Spirit as a Christian, that's not where you need to be. And I'm not even pointing fingers at anybody. I'm just giving you an example of what it looks like to take something for granted. That just because you have an ability, well, I put it this way, every need is not a calling, regardless of your qualifications. Well, let's look at it in the Bible. Because... The difference, again, is that the servant does what he is told by his master. Thus, the benefit of an educated and informed faith. In Numbers, the book of Numbers, the spies were sent into the promised land. Twelve of them. You all know the story. Ten came back and said, we can't do it. The other two said, yeah, we can. Well, God was really upset with those ten, and they did not survive a judgment, a plague judgment. They died. Then the survivors, who listened to the ten naysayers, decided, okay, Moses, you're right. We should go in and take the land. See, that's an agenda. God said, no, you're stuck. Forty years, a year for every day that those spies were in the land, you cannot, you're going to wander in the desert. We pick it up in Numbers 14. 
And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are, and we will go up to this place which Yahweh has promised, for we have sinned. They thought that late obedience is better than no obedience. And there's some truth to that, but not in this case. The obedience called for was to wander the desert for 40 years. They admitted that they sinned. Listen to what Moses says. And Moses said, Now why do you transgress the commandment of Yahweh? For this will not succeed. They could have picked it up in his tone. The look in his eyes would have told him he's not playing around. It continues, Numbers chapter 14, verse 42, Moses speaking, Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies, for Yahweh is not among you. Doesn't get any more serious than that. Your enemies defeating you. He says, For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword. You will die and be maimed and or, because you have turned away from Yahweh. Yahweh will not be with you. But, now here it comes. Here's the agenda ahead of the servant, or in contrast to the servant. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the ark of the covenant of Yahweh nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountain came down, attacked them, and drove them back. We're not told how many of them died, but we know they died. Because Moses said, it's prophetic, you're going to fall by the sword. But there is an example in the scripture of putting an agenda, my understanding, my preferences, my way, in God's name, ahead of what God said, or has not said, as the case may be. That's being led. Being led by the Holy Spirit is not an easy thing. If it were, we all would be. I wouldn't be saying these things. It's very difficult to the flesh to be led by God. It's one of those, don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes. That's too close. I don't want them that close. And then we jump and, and uh, you know, the Lord in his mercy, he doesn't abandon us because we get anxious. We jump ahead of the schedule. If he did, we'd all be lonely without the Lord. But he's patient nonetheless. That does not mean that in my pursuit of holiness that I should be satisfied with that. It means that I have to be on guard. I don't want to put my Lord in a situation where he's got to clean up my mess. Where he's got to grab the ear of Malchus and stick it back on. Because I was doing my thing. Verse 40. And they let go the anchors and let them in the sea. Meanwhile, losing the rudder ropes, they, loosed, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, verse 41, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. So full speed ahead, flank speed, hard as we can, and they hit a sandbar. Nothing was coming easy to these men. All they wanted to do is just get to the beach. We all just want to get to the beach. God's promise to save lives worked. 
He didn't promise to save the ship. It's time to abandon the ship, not uh, walking on water. Now, this, I think, is important. I think Christians lose sight of this. We tend to in the scriptures. We want to see a miracle where a miracle doesn't belong many times. I think God never works needless miracles. If he purposes something to be accomplished by ordinary means, that's how it's going to happen. He will withhold the miraculous. We prove this every single day. Food does not fly into your mouth, as a rule. If, if it does, something's not right. You have to do it yourself. Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 2, we had this Wednesday. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. Yeah, how about around the waters? How about around, over the, a bridge or something? But that's not what the promise says. God is just being frank with us. He's saying, listen... This life is a shipwreck. And uh, you're going to go through it. I have grand purposes for you. And I'll be with you every step of the way. Do you believe me? Well, we remember that father in the Gospels. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He didn't mean give assistance to me not believing more. He means help me in my weakness. Which the Lord evidently did, because he went on to perform a miracle on behalf of the father and the child. Now, verse 42, bearing in mind, they just hit the beach. And there will be the miracle of survival, but there's not going to be any walking on the water. Verse 42, and the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. Great. Shipmates with guns. And I don't have one. And these... Their lack of hesitation to kill indicates that these are seasoned soldiers. These are not rookies. They're not like, well, what do we do now, boss? The way it worked in Rome, if your prisoner got away, whatever sentence they would have gotten, you get. And likely, some of these prisoners were going to face capital charges in court. And so they would have been killed or incarcerated. Shipmates with sword ready to use them, and that on their shipmates, were it not for Paul. We covered last session about being on the ship with an, of life, metaphorically, with the people of the world, the people around us. This gets ugly. There's got to be a lot of concern here for uh, the fear you survive the storm, you survive the beaching of the, of the, the hitting the sand dune, but now you've got to face these guys. Death lurked everywhere. Dread in life. Have you ever felt trapped? There's no solution? This is where I am. This is how it's going to be. It's not going to change. Well, for that moment, they were trapped, and, you know, you know, we were just singing, I'll fly away. I do not want a window seat when I fly away. I'm not looking back. I'm looking up. But anyway, uh, you know, when David wrote, you know, this is interesting. And David at one point wrote, oh, that I had the wings of a, of a bird. I'd fly away. And another part, he says, you know, he said, I'm not going to fly away. Uh, you know, I'm going to stand in, in the Lord. And so, you know, when do you do? What do you do? Uh, it depends on 
how sensitive we are to the leading of the Spirit, how educated we are in our faith. This is the benefit of knowing the Scripture. The Holy Spirit brings these things to mind. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes and says to you, you're going to make it to shore on broken pieces of the boat, but you're going to make it. So, uh, back to this, death lurking everywhere. They, many of them were trapped, were it not for Paul, who influenced Julius, the commander, the centurion. Because of Christ, Paul faced archers continuously. Remember the story of Joseph? His father was blessing him, and his father said, Joseph, the archers, or maybe we'll say it this way in modern language, the snipers have sorely sought you. They have really tried to take you out. But your bow abode in strength, held by the mighty hand of God. Well, that's Paul, and that can be us too. He faced religious hypocrites in churchgoers, religious zealots in his countrymen, religious mobs in the, from the Gentiles, like the riot in Ephesus, the beating he took in Philippi, Christian troublemakers, the typhoon, armed soldiers, shipwreck. Still to come is the viper, is Nero, and all the other heartbreaking things that go along with pastoring the flock. Undeterred, he's determined to serve Christ nonetheless. So now we look back again at Romans, four years back prior to this event. In Romans 1, he says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts, so that you may be established. He wanted them educated. He knew the benefit of that. He knew the disadvantages of having assemblies of unschooled believers. He knew that was unacceptable. He continues, Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now. Yeah, he's going to be hindered more. Again, four years. He's still not in Rome. Four years later, he's still not gotten there. And when he gets out of this mess, it's going to be another three months before he leaves Malta. And then travels and finally reaches Rome. Uh, well, Italy, and then he's got to walk 40 miles to Rome. Anyway, these are his plans. These are his ambitions as a, as a Christian servant. He says that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. And then he says this, So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And then he goes on to say, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. But it is a judgment for those who reject. So who's hindering him from doing this? Satan heard this speech. He read this letter. He heard Paul say, I'm trying to get to you so that I can educate you and bless you. Make a strong church there. Who's hindering him? Who feared him doing this? Who else? Satan, spiritual war, got to accept it. You don't have to sign off on it. It's going to come to you anyway. Just be ready. God says, you know, you're fit for this. God said, I, you know, man was not made imperfect. He became that way. And yet, God has salvaged enough of that original creation in us 
so that we could prevail. Or else what would be the purpose of persevering? What would be the purpose of learning anything? We, we over the centuries, the righteous have stacked up victories against the enemy. But it is a fierce enemy and he gets victories too. And may we not help him with that. Verse 43. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. Again, here is the commander. Without hesitation, he knows what to do. Stop the killing. Okay, the swimmers, you're going to go over first. Which, again, if you're a non-swimmer, you're kind of like, well, I would like one of them in the water with me. Maybe he could help me. But that's not the case. Paul obviously is the one that made an impact on this century because it tells us he wanted to save Paul. He had no other motivation for this call except the preaching of Paul. Now Luke doesn't itemize for us and this one became saved and this one. He just gives us a story and he says, you fill in the blanks and really it doesn't matter. You'll find out when you get to heaven all the details. This uh, centurion, he did not choose to be on this ship. He was following orders Paul did not choose to be on this ship. He was under protective custody. He chose to serve God, however, wherever that might be. And this is where it was. How indebted the shipmates were to Paul, did they realize it? Of the, of the 276 souls in that ship, barring the believers, did they realize that they only survived? When he gets to Malta, there's an Alexandrian ship that harbored on Malta to get past the season of, of danger on the, on the seas, which they didn't do. And you say, see, somebody got it right. But Paul's ship, they got it wrong. But it was because of him that the ship met such a violent storm and survived. It says here in verse 43, And commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land into the same waters, incidentally, that were violent enough to smash up the ship, they were to throw themselves in. Notice, again, uh, that he did not say, the swimmers go in first and wait for the non-swimmers. He said, the swimmers go in and go to shore. Because when they survive, when the non-swimmers survive, it will not be because of any human being. That's one of the great lessons from this. Even the non-swimmers are protected by God. And those swimmers who made it to shore because they knew how to swim, how's their walk doing? Not enough to know how to swim. See, the allegory, the metaphor, the illustrations, they abound. The words that I speak are spirit and they are life. Their survival was because of God. And if anyone survives a shipwreck of life, it will be because a Christian was on board at some point. At some point, souls who get to heaven in the New Testament age, it's because there was a Christian there. In my own life, it wasn't what the Christian said, but he was there. Take him out of the picture, and I never would have searched the scriptures. And I would not, if you just limited at that uh, that point of contact with another Christian who irritated me just enough to want to win the argument against him and prove that Christ was false. And then I got saved. 
And so again, I, I stand by it. If anyone survives a shipwreck of life, it is because as a shipmate, there was a Christian. The question then becomes this. Am I that Christian? Or is this somebody else? I've, I've been in a workplace where there were Christians present who were doing nothing. And then a Christian comes in, he's preaching the gospel, and people, <laughs> things have changed. How did it make them feel to be doing nothing? And then Johnny comes, lately comes in, I love the Lord, and he's just preaching away. I don't want to be the one that was on the ship as a believer and was too shy to speak up when the door opened wide. I'm not abusing these parallels. At some point in life, we're all non-swimmers of the, in the sea of life. At some point in life, each Christian has a chance to be that dominating influence where they are to save souls. Verse 44, And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, and so it was that they all escaped safely to land. It's a happy ending, but it's not a fairy tale because there's so much more to the story. And this man, Paul, is going to be killed one day because he believes in Christ. You see, a verse like this, this 44th verse, it doesn't need Bible exposition. It needs preaching. It needs application. Now, if the church is preached to too much, she becomes dumb. But if she is, if the scriptures are expounded only, she can become dry. We need a combination. We need the application. We need the opening up of the scriptures. They go together. God caused this, the shattered pieces of this broken vessel to be life preservers for those unfit for the sea. We're not told how far offshore they were when they hit the sandbar, but they were far enough to drown. We all know this verse. Paul says that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Well, Mr. Paul the Apostle, you're having to live up to those words that you wrote four years ago, are you not? There have been times that I have made some fantastic points from the pulpit only to have to live up to them later. So man, that doesn't work. I just want to preach. I don't want to have to be in the barrel. But it doesn't work that way. And if you share Christ with people, it's, you're in the war zone like with everybody else. There are no exceptions. Some can lie to themselves and that would be a breakdown of integrity and genuineness. Life is a survivable shipwreck. That's one of the lessons comes out of this. Life is a survivable shipwreck. And it is a shipwreck. Since Eden, the curse crashed everything. And if we don't learn this, then we risk botching up our testimony. Burying it. You know, Jesus preached on that. He says, listen, who lights a lamp to hide it? Well, there are Christians, they're lit lamps, and then they hide it. Then there are other Christians, as Jesus said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You're a Christian, it's going to be outstanding. You don't have to go into the workplace, all right, here he, here he, I am the Christian. All you have to do is be the Christian. It will, they, those Holy Spirit will either bring them to you or Satan will target you. Either way, God will point it out. And if you've been working at a place, maybe you've been in a, in a, 
you know, the the cube patch, we don't you just cubicles for years and you've already done everything. That doesn't define everything about your Christianity. There's more to you than just witnessing in the workplace or the school. Just be ready. Uh, what should a pastor say? I oh, don't worry about it. God will just do miracles where you could have done the work. Well, that's not going to, that wouldn't be right. Wait for God. Remember the sailors on this ship who didn't want to wait? Who tried to take the skiff and, and sneak out, abandon ship and leave everybody else to die? Not waiting would have been their doom. And so we learn, we learn that waiting for God has benefits. It can be frightening. It is terrifying to the flesh, but the spirit remains strong. It says here in verse 44, And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. These are shattered dreams. Maybe you've had your dreams, your nice vessels. You're going to sail from here to there. And you met with a storm. You beached the ship and the waves of life shattered it. And all you have left are fragments. And yet those fragments are used by God to save your life, to continue serving, to do more. Storm-tossed faith holds on. Now, some of you know, I am not fond of the saying, you know, how are you doing? Hanging in there. Because it sounds like you're dangling. And dangling is not productive. I, I don't know, you know, I don't want to dangle. I don't mind dabbling. But anyway, holding to me implies perseverance, strength. You say, you know, you're just really looking to preach something. Yeah, I am. I'm telling you right out, I am. I'm trying to make a point. They were to cling to those pieces of wood, and we're to cling to the cross of Christ. Wood floats. A naysayer would come along and say, oh, God didn't save them. Wood floats. It's a natural life preserver. It's sort of like the guy working on the roof and he slips and he's screaming for the Lord to help him and his na a nail snags his coveralls and he says, well, never mind, Lord, the nail got me. Daniel, the Bible tells us that the angel of the Lord shut the mouth of the lions and they say, God, oh, they just weren't hungry. They looked for any way to get God out of the equation so that they won't have to be accountable for their sin. But that's where their help comes from. Their help comes from dealing with sin. I don't know why a church would not address sin. The cross of Christ addresses sin. Is nothing, if it weren't for sin, there would be no cross of Christ. But there is sin. And sweeping it, uh, uh, trying to pretend it is not there, is spiritually deadly for that individual. What happens to them when they die, if they never dealt with their sin? Wait for God... And uh, it says, as I'm reading again in verse 44, now the rest on some of, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. I should point out that Paul mentions to Timothy years later that there is a shipwreck available for churchgoers. That is not good. That is very bad. We, um, 
we need minds that are tough enough that when heresy tries to enter the church under the cloak of love, we don't tolerate that. It's a false love. And it's so quick. To, you hear Christians that are dealt with when you know church goes, they come and they're in some kind of sin, and they resent being held accountable. They want to just let their sin just go, and, and you know you, you can't do that now without consequence. I remember years ago, there was a pastor, and um, he's still preaching, as a matter of fact. But whenever uh, the friends of this pastor would want to impersonate him, they would use the word fornication. And uh, being a Mexican-American, he had that, you know, sort of that accent, I guess. And so they would uh, imitate him, and they would use the word fornication. This is, this is so-and-so, and then they'd do it. What they left out of the picture is this. That pastor had a congregation with a lot of young people. And a lot of those young people were involved in fornication. And he was determined to go at it from the pulpit. He was doing his job. He was calling them out. He was warning them. He was saying fornication, illicit sex, is not something that God winks at. Get your act together. That was his congregation's major issue at that time. That's preaching. That's doing the work of a servant. God said to Jeremiah when he called them, I'm going to make your head harder than theirs. You deliver my message. That's what I want from you. And that's what we're supposed to do. And I resent Christians who get uppity because they're not given a pass. What right do they have to come into a congregation and infect everybody? Because it will go through a congregation like wildfire. This is not new science. This is old. You find a church that is completely uh, Bibleless, Christless, Christ standing outside, knocking on the door, trying to get in. They don't even know he's not in there. It comes from treating that you can't even say sin without the hiss of the serpent. It comes from ignoring it. It does not mean that you become self-righteous and judgmental and loveless. It does not mean that, you know, I'm better than you. It means that when something is brought to the surface by God, it, can, it has to be dealt with. And, uh, you know, we're all sinners. We all goof. At least so I'm told about you. <laughs> we all are. Well, coming back to this and the rest on some of the boards, I don't want to let that go because it is so rich with real, meaningful metaphor that going back to Tim, Paul's writing to Timothy, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, suffered shipwreck. Having faith and a good conscience, which they rejected. They rejected the faith, they rejected the conscience. What's the conscience? The accountability. What's the faith? Faith, trusting God. They rejected that, but they still wanted to be churchgoers nonetheless. And Paul says they suffered shipwreck. And if a church is not tough enough to stand up and say, look, we want to help you through this, but it's got to be God's way, not your way, then that church will succumb and be culturalized and no longer a church, but just a group of people. Uh, We can all identify with fear, every single one of us. But can we all identify with faith? That is the question. I mean, in the storms, a non-negotiable trust in God. Like, I don't feel it, 
I don't need to feel it. I trust God. It is a decision that I've made. It is an act of my will vetoing my feelings. Putting my feelings in line. Because that is right. And that is what counts in the end. Um, I heard a phrase the other day. Emotional intellect. I said to myself, what on earth is that? They just create these things. And it's people go, oh, he's so, oh, he's so mean. He's so, you know, get... Buy yourself a teddy bear or something, but don't start making up all these words as though people who can make up these words are somehow more sensitive than the rest of us that are telling you to stand your ground in your faith. Hebrews chapter 10, this is what Paul says. Let us draw near with a true heart. That's integrity. In full assurance of faith. That's blessed assurance. Don't let anybody tell you you can't be sure you're saved until you die. There are those that teach that kind of stuff. You have to persevere, brother. Well, I'm persevering right now. I have blessed assurance. In full assurance of faith, let us draw near. Right now. I can boldly enter the courtroom of God in prayer at any time without an appointment. And know that the same God of whom it is said, in the beginning, God created. That same God will listen to me. He may not do what I want, but he will listen to me. He will do what I want in the sense that I want him to do what God wants. Paul continues, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without dangling. Wavering is the word. What do you do when you're dangling? You're wavering. Anyway, for he who promised is faithful. That is non-negotiable faith. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us behave like Christians as best we can. It may not always be all right, but that is not the whole story. Ever. It is never the whole story if things go, if, if your ship wrecks beneath your feet. We cling to the cross of Christ. We will make it to our personal Rome if we just follow the Lord. A shattered vessel, but an unbroken faith. Peter is talking about this in 1 Peter. He says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire or water, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what I've been trying to say all morning. Our service is for His glory. And it is worth it. God will use spiritual conflict and natural calamities to educate us. Matthew 5, and I'm almost done. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for He makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Everybody gets wet in this life. True. Carelessness, a chastening from the Lord, can lead us into a storm. But all these lessons still apply. God expects you to survive, even on the broken pieces. A perfect storm in my life is no match for a perfect Savior. I have got to learn that. I'll close with, two, with one verse and repeat of another. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. That's the broken parts of the ship that they're holding to. And so we look at verse 44 again and close with this. 
concerning the survivors. Someone boards and someone parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, the lessons are, they're not uh, to be bypassed. We thank you for them. If you've been listening and you have felt the Spirit of God reminding you or telling you that for those of you who have not given your life to Christ, maybe you sense the Lord's presence, His, His desire to have you come to Him to deal with your sin, that you can survive this life. If you'd like to Open your heart to Jesus Christ and make this prayer right now. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I break your commandments. I ask you to forgive me. There's no one else who died in my place, taking my judgment upon him, but you. And there's no one as powerful as you, able to rise from the dead, to rule over creation take my sin and my guilt away. I ask you to forgive me. And I give my life to you right here, right now. And I ask from this day forward that you would be not only the one who forgives me of my sin, but who rules over my life as Lord. I give my life to you. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, when they're invited to come up and share it with the pastors or call into the church and share it with one of the pastors, May they not hesitate, but may they have an eager confession of faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.